My name is Melanie Nevis. And I'm Tegan Aline. And we are going to be talking about a figure that has really only started to gain popularity in North America relatively recently, especially when you look at the history that it has. Mm. Um, it's a horned figure oh God. Central in Central and Eastern Alpine folklore. What did you just say? I said, oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, who, during the Advent season, tends to scare children who've misbehaved. It's Krampus. Yay! I'm excited to learn about Krampus. I don't know. Shit, all I know is he's scary. <laughs> I don't even know if it's he. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, a horned figure, but generally, I think that uh, devilish figures kind of take the form of a he in our society just because we have that association with Lucifer who is identified as being a male. Yes, devils are men and witches are female. <laughs> no, but I think yes. that we just that correlation exists, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um so yeah, I mean you said you don't know much. What what do mm. you know other than it's scary? Okay. Here well here's what I know, but I am confused. There was a time when I was probably a teenager, I had this book called like vampires of the world or something and it was and it was basically a book that kind of went through all the different cultures in the world and talked about versions of vampires or blood I really they weren't vampires they were blood drinkers you know what I mean okay and yeah. there I for some reason I remember it being called a Tomlin not or something like that not a Krampus but I remember a story from that book about a guy who used to go around with St. Nick and would beat children and drink their blood. Like, I don't want to get too deep into it, but like, essentially, like, this was the idea. There. And I think there's an association to that, I think. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot of characters in this Central and Eastern Alpine folklore that have been linked to St. Nick and it's like to Santa Claus. So, Belschnickel is one of them. Um, Who's that? And Belschnickel, if you remember. Um, was the character that Dwight played in The Office? Oh, I've never. One I've, year he dressed as Belschnickel and had. Don't hate me. I've really never watched funny. The Office. Everybody I know has watched it and liked it, and I haven't. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Well, Dwight dressed as Belschnickel, and um, at, there are a lot of different characters, and I can't think of all of their names now that have been linked mm. to Santa Claus in some way. Oh, interesting. So it's very possible that that's one of them. Mm. But we're going to focus on a little more on Krampus today. But I encourage you to kind of like do research on that. And I feel like it follows the same sort of a similar arc as Krampus probably did. Oh, okay. Okay. The Alpine folklore is still alive and well in modern day Austria, Switzerland, in uh, Bavaria and Germany, Slovenia, Northwest Croatia, and Northeast Italy. Wow. And... You can still find a lot of these traditions being celebrated. So there are two periods of time that give us kind of different stories on Krampus. There's the pre-Christian Alpine pagan tradition and then the later Christian tradition. What? And we are very I familiar. I was going to say, I wonder which one's worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're very familiar with the later pagan tradition. And unfortunately, we don't 
or the later Christian tradition. We don't know that much Mm. about the pagan side of things. Um, It was forgotten or absorbed to a degree into the Christian tradition. But the most common belief is that Krampus was likely just derived from a horned deity and horned gods have existed in multiple cultures throughout the world for centuries, (laughs) millennia. Not even centuries, millennia, <laughs> thousands of years. Forever. <laughs> Forever. So like, you know, yeah, horns don't necessarily, yeah, we have this whole idea around horns in and of itself and like. Yeah, there's, there's kind of similarity between Krampus and ancient Greek satyrs mm. because they're rowdy and mischievous and like not fully in human form, right? Um, In the old German word, Krampen actually means claw. So it could also just be referring to an old clawed monster. So interesting. We don't entirely know. Cool. In recent years, and this kind of tripped me up because I asked Kale, I was like, what do you know about Krampus? And he's like, isn't it a Norse myth? And I was like, I could have sworn it was Germanic. Yeah. In recent years, there's been a myth circulating that Krampus is the son of the Norse god Hel, who is the ruler of Helheim, which is oh, the geez. Norse realm of the dead. Oh, boy. And Hel is described um, as being the youngest daughter of Loki, our favorite trickster god. And she has cool is kids. described as, yeah, mm-hmm. but Hel's described as being this horrible hag half alive and half dead with a gloomy and grim expression. Her face and body are those of a living woman, but her thighs and legs are those of a corpse mottled and moldering. Gross. I prefer, I prefer Marvel's version of hell. Thank you very much. (laughs) But seriously though, they did it right with her. They did it right with her. Who's the actress? What's her name? She's a freaking smoke show. Michael and I are both obsessed with her. Um, (laughs) Oh, She's also in Lord of the Rings. Oh, crap. oh are you talking about? Um, yeah, okay, I know who you're talking about. You know the actress. The name escapes me, but yeah, it's, I'm really yeah. The name Kate, escapes Kate, me. Right Kate, now. Kate, Kate Blanchett. Kate Blanchett. Yeah, she's yeah. A, she's a great version of Hell in <laughs> in in Marvels. If you haven't seen Ragnarok from Marvel, it's actually oh good. I have. Yeah, no, yeah, she's amazing yeah, in that. She good. plays Hell. Yeah, yeah, so good. Anyways, yeah, that's right. Sidebar. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so that's weird um, though how did that come about that they've well that's just it so this myth is very popular on the internet and it's appeared yeah. in articles by the national geographic what? and smithsonian magazine Whoa! the connection is actually probably the invention of an american fantasy author called uh gerald brom classic whose 2012 novel krampus the yule lord Features oh. Krampus as the main protagonist, and 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 the myth in this novel is not at all accurate, right? It wasn't meant to be. It wasn't meant to be. We see this um, a lot. And then, we see it a lot. Yeah. This we this is what we do with history, you know, or with stories. You know what I mean? They get molded and <laughs> cross pollinated. Yeah. So he ended up creating this this myth around Krampus. That was completely false. And the same idea then appeared shortly afterwards in two online games by a Norwegian games producer, Funcom. Mm. 
And so then the Smithsonian and National Geographic, like in the Western world, were like, it's not our folklore. It must be right. No, no way. No fact checking. Come on. It's not that hard. <laughs> like we can do it. The National yeah. Geographic can do it. And the Smithsonian. Yeah, I know. No, I know. So that's where that connection came from. Wow. And it also makes zero sense because it wasn't ever meant to. Yeah, it wasn't um, ever meant to. I We see this a lot with video games. And I think we talked about that on an earlier podcast, that idea that like, like there are some of these concepts that like have mythological historical relevance that have just been twisted into something else because of video games. And now that's what people know them as instead of knowing like where it connects yeah. in our yeah, it's very interesting. That's that's an interesting. Yeah, it started it started with a novel though. It started with yeah. Well, it's going on the book list. I can tell you that right now. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> Why not? Um, the the closest connection that we can draw between Krampus pre and post Alpine traditions are pagan festivals that took place in the winter, similar to Yule or winter solstice. Hmm. And during these festivals, men would dress in masks and furs and parade around villages causing a nuisance. So (laughs) (laughs) the closest thing that we have for an origin comes from a figure in Germany and Austria known as Perkta. And she's kind of this combination of Santa Claus and Krampus in one, representing both reward and punishment. Hmm. And during the 12 days between Christmas and Epiphany, she'd visit the homes of children. If they were good, she would leave them a silver coin in one of their shoes and they would find it the next morning. And if they were bad, what do you think that she would do if they were bad? Drink their blood. Beat them. Nutty. Put coal. I don't know. If they were bad. Those are the only things. (laughs) She would slit open their bellies, remove their innards, and fill the cavity with straw and pebbles before sewing a chat again. Excuse me? Whoa. That took so much. That was darker than drink their blood. (laughs) Holy shit. (laughs) Yeah. So so I'm going to take a little bit of time to tell you a little bit more about Perkta because I saw this and I was like, who is this person? And I've never heard of her. And I don't think many people in North America have. When you say so. the name Perkta, I think of Perky, which now just, just changed my whole perception on the word. Anyways, tell me about her because this is wild and wacky. <laughs> Frau Perkta is known as Berkta or Bertha as well. She's been called Bertha. Mm, oh boy. Spin Frau or spinning room lady. Oh, here we go again with right? the spinning. This Germanic stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's often depicted as a woman with a beaked nose made of iron. She's dressed in rags and carries a very long knife that's hidden under her skirt. Sometimes she carries a cane. Okay. So she generally just dis- resembles a decrepit old hag or crone. Yeah. We love that archetype. Yeah. <laughs> also kind of bears a resemblance to the Norse god Frigga in that they are both very much obsessed with spinning and general domestic neatness. So legend has it that you have to get all of your flax spun by the 12th night. So by Epiphany, January 6th. For when the Christmas season was over, it would be time to set up the big upright loom, at which time you must have enough thread to wrap it or to warp it and start your weaving. And Perkta's punishment for the lazy ladies who haven't finished all of their weaving would be to trample and even set fire to half spun fibers. 
And if you really irritate her, so like you haven't spun your flax, your house is a mess, and you didn't leave her a bowl of porridge because you're supposed to leave out a bowl of porridge for her, then that's also cause for her to disembowel you and replace your guts with rocks and straw. So I'm just going to tell my husband this lore simply so he understands my logic behind cleaning the house all the time. You know what I mean? I'm just doing as the gods demand, you know? Yeah. Just doing as the gods demand. I don't want to be disemboweled, you know? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) That's – what the hell? That's a wild story. Oh, my God. Okay. I know. Never heard of this before. Wow. Me neither. So to symbolize – the duality, because she she isn't all just doom and gloom. Okay. She does sometimes appear as a beautiful woman dressed in white. Other times she's this like decrepit old hag creature. Mm. And she also has this posse of helper spirits that are known as Perkton. And they, like Perkta, appear <laughs> in two forms. So the beautiful Perkton brought good fortune with them. Okay. And the ugly Perkton, who had fangs and horns, would be used to ward off demons and spirits in one's home. They sound like fairies. Well, like what I would think of as a fairy. <laughs> yeah. Which is very influenced by Brian Froud. <laughs> Side note. Um, but <laughs> but uh, wow. Okay. Wow. Other legends equate Perkta with the legend of the wild hunt and say that she flies through the night sky with this army of lost souls, including the demon, demonic looking Perkton mm-hmm. and her army of servants who are fairly nearly indistinguishable from Krampus. Oh. But Krampus rides abroad during the evening of St. Nicholas Day, while the Perkton lead more towards Epiphany. So St. Nicholas Day is on December 6th, mm-hmm. and Krampus rides around on the 5th. Oh. I and see. the Perkton and Perkta ride around closer to Epiphany. Oh, okay. Wow. Lots of crazy and- shit riding out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. And then the, they also ride around during the last three Thursdays before Christmas, known as Berktal Nights or Knocking Nights. Mm-hmm. And among her army of lost souls are the souls of unbaptized children. Ah. So even with this legend of, of Perkta, you can see the Christianization already kind of coming in. And it's really mm. hard to find tales that haven't been warped by that. Mm. Um, because I think that whole concept of her riding around with unbaptized children comes obviously after Christianity had kind of gotten its nose stuck in there. Right, Yeah. But legend has it, if you hear the wind and thunder roaring and rumbling through the mountains on those knocking nights, you are really hearing the sounds of Perkta leading the wild hunt. It gives me a sense of that. And I think we said we were going to talk about it at some point or in another podcast or something. But it gives me a sense of that. Again, I'm referencing a TV show, so it's not a serious reference, but um, of the Yule Lads kind of energy. You know what I mean? Oh. We'll definitely have to go into the Yule Lads. <laughs> but we'll definitely have to go into that. I'm also understanding um, the whole point of having a Yule log now <laughs> to like keep all this stuff mm-hmm. out of your house. Damn. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Probably. So, you know, to this point, Perkta is kind of a scary, scary figure. Mm. Uh, the most PG version of her and probably the oldest to be completely honest, is that she's also known as Grandmother Winter. Oh. The woman who makes the snow. 
Oh. And another one of Percta's names is Hole, a winter goddess whose name means shining or bright. So you see this transition happen? Did you say again? hole? Right? Like a hole? Hole. H-O-L-L-E. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's so bizarre. And in, I mean, it's not so shocking. And that's why but... she's associated with Epiphany, the shining night, right? The, the night that the, the star of Bethlehem shines down. Oh, she's associated with this concept of Epiphany as the shining night because she is, her name means shining or bright originally. Oh. So, but that's confusing though, the winter, the winter element and then the light element. Well, shining star, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I get that. I get that. Yeah. So at first, Perkta was a benevolent spirit. In Germanic paganism, she had the rank of a minor deity that changed into an enchanted creature, spirit, or elf. And then in Old High German, like the Grimm brothers described, she was given a much more malevolent character as a sorceress or witch. So she goes so from like she a goddess a to a creature to a like a to like a mad a fantastical a creature to a, a witch. Oh, that yeah. is so interesting. What a yeah. degradation, actually. Yeah. I know. Huh. I know. Okay. Interesting. So I had mentioned that the beautiful Perkton, so like her little helper spirits, the beautiful Perkton brought good fortune with them. The ugly Perkton with fangs and hordes were used to ward off demons and spirits in one ho- one's home. Mm. Um, and this led to people dressing up and participating in what was called the Perktonlof or Perkton run, going from house to house to drive out evil spirits. And what's really cool is that in certain small villages throughout Austria and Germany today, uh, these still happen. Oh, cool. Yeah, actually, yeah. G- circling back around to the beginning when we were talking about Krampus and the Krampus ball and stuff, I know that there's actually like a parade, a Krampus parade somewhere in Germany. I think I think on the border of France and Germany somewhere. I'm not sure exactly where, but probably. But um, but this isn't a Krampus parade. This is the Perktonlof. Okay, so it's literally these guys running in and out of houses to like scare um yeah so so people dress up as these things with okay so so in specific areas of austria the traditional costumes are actually made from hand woven corn leaves they're sewn together and they make these really broad rustling suits and performers need to be strapped into them they can weigh up to 25 kilos so like 55 pounds They also wear hand-carved masks with devil faces and headwear that have giant horns, which can weigh as much as 30 kilos, depending on their side, because some of them are like a couple feet long, the horns. Wow. And once the sun sets, fires are lit in the center of town, and the noise of the bells and and the ground shaking and the corn rustling, uh, the performances kind of last all night. And- it's meant to ward off evil spirits. So this still happens in early December in different um, areas of Austria and Germany in small little rural villages. Um, not everywhere, but in certain locations. Wow. So the performances go long into the night. Smaller devils kind of roam the crowd. They attack bystanders with coal. They have coal covering their hands. Mm. And they smear it onto people's cheeks. And they shriek and, like, just stir up mayhem, basically. Oh, this sounds vaguely familiar to me. I feel like I've seen some reference, especially the corn suits. I feel like I've seen a reference to that somewhere before. 
So to this point, nothing really suggests that Krampus had anything to do with Christmas or Santa Claus other than appearing at a similar time of the year. But what did happen sometimes to push back against Christianity, um, you'd sometimes see people in Austria and Germany don these devilish masks and be loud and disruptive on holidays that honored Christian saints. Oh, it was like a rebellion a little? Kind of. Yeah. So the church had been trying to phase out and basically eradicate these pagan beliefs and traditions, and it was a way to fight back against it. So the church saw these demonstrations of the Prochtenlof as examples of immoral behavior and tried to stop them from taking place, but a lot of Austrian villages refused to comply. And around the 11th century, stories of St. Nicholas began to gain popularity, and it continued to the 16th century when the stories that we know today really got started. Mm. So the church is still locked into this debate about the Perkton, and they decided to try and ban the Perktonloff. Okay. So people decided to create a new character, kind of similar to the Perkton in appearance, but with a few key changes. Okay. The creature would now serve St. Nicholas and be known as Krampus. Wow. A hairy, horned, and hooded demonic figure with a long tongue, sharp fangs, and sharp claws. Yeah, because when you're describing them, like they sound similar, like the bad, uh, the bad, quote unquote, bad Perkton sounds similar. Yeah. Right? Okay, so this is how that yeah. evolves. Okay. Yeah, this is kind of how it evolves. Interesting. Um, of the more pagan origins in the Krampus costume is the root, which is a bundle of birch branches that Krampus often carries and that he occasionally uses to swat at children and also sometimes mm-hmm. adults. And the oh. root had a lot of significance in pre-Christian pagan initiation rites. Um but later you kind of see that the birch branches are replaced with a whip in some representations. It's weird. Yeah, birch branches have such a, a long history anyways of cleansing and stuff. So that's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. But that's that's kind of – that was their role. So the root, even the Perkton, like they were dressed as these horned devils essentially. But they were helpful. They were used to drive e- evil from the home. Yeah, it's like, like that was the purpose. And be evil at its own game kind of vibe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Today, when people dress up as Krampus to avoid causing injury, they'll probably use like horsehair instead of a whip or a bundle of birch branches um, just because they will actually go around and like whip people sometimes. Oh, I was like, what do you mean injury? Like, well, yeah. Are they actually going to? Because during the. Yeah, if people are dressing up and they like try and whip someone with birch branches. Listen, I have been beaten with birch branches by a bunch of naked ladies and it's fantastic. I would suggest it in the right context. (laughs) That's another story for another time. (laughs) But Hey, right context, sure. Yeah. But if you're just like walking around and you have someone with you. Not a parade context. (laughs) Not a parade but it's really good it feels amazing (laughs) besides the point (sighs) Um, that's wild so yeah during this period as I said Christian celebrated St. Nicholas December 6th was known as St. Nicholas Day 
And like modern day Christmas, St. Nick would deliver presents to children who had been good. And this would probably be things like fruits and nuts, um, maybe a small carved toy. Hmm. Those who weren't good would get a lump of coal or a twig. Okay. And the church decided to take St. Nicholas and Krampus and kind of make someone symbolize good and one symbolize evil. Yeah, they like to do that. Divide and conquer, (laughs) as it were. Yeah, and then that's how you see this association form between Krampus and this idea of the Christian devil. Mm. And in later depictions, you see Krampus in chains, and that's that symbolizes the binding of the devil by the church. Because mm. he oh. didn't used to have chains in early forms. Yeah. Um, and then also on his back, he would have a basket or a sack that he threw naughty children into when he was dragging them to hell. So if you were really badly behaved, you might be drowned or eaten. Otherwise, you might just be like dragged to hell in a sack. Yeah, I remember when of that story that I was telling you something about them throwing kids in sacks and beating them with chains and so on and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Sounds like a great time. This is a <laughs> very interesting and like incredibly dark way to make sure kids do good things like or or behave I shouldn't even say do good yeah exactly that's questionable but like just behave just behave um so the night before Saint Nicholas Day became known as Krampusnacht or Krampus night and yes my German pronunciation of these things is not good but your pronunciation (laughs) in general I think is pretty good so like it's okay you try that's what's important I try um So on December 5th is when this demon is allowed to roam the villages and St. Nicholas is no longer provided the, is no longer the one providing children with a lump of coal or twig. His sole concern becomes with those who are nice and good, well-behaved children. The naughty list and the nice list. Damn, they divide it. Yeah. They split it up. He kind of just. He just starts to care about the nice list, and Krampus takes care of the naughty children. Interesting. Very interesting. Now, we know, because we talked about this with, with any ruling or dominant culture, we know it's really common for a lot of cultures to adopt traditions from yeah. those that they're conquering. So uh, in the same way, it was very common for the church to adopt traditions from other cultures when they were trying to get them to convert to Christianity. And it makes sense. You can't show up and tell people that they're going to hell when they have no idea what hell is and they don't care. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. The church showed them that there's this common ground in their beliefs, right? They kind of took this idea of Krampus and they were like, okay, you have this idea of Krampus. It's not exactly the Perkton, but you've kind of adopted it to be with St. Nick. And then they slowly tweaked it over time Ah. and it becomes more and more Christianized over time. Which means more scary. Um, Well, it means it's, it's like the whole idea of uh, Krampus is a slave to St. Nick. Yes. Okay. Ah. He's not his own thing. Like he's, Mm -hmm. he is, he comes out, on the eve of St. Nicholas Day, but he is essentially under St. Nick's control. And this idea of him being chained to Christianity, having those chains on him, that comes around later 
after Christianity had gained a foothold. It's interesting too because they just let go of the whole this whole story around the the goddess, right? Yeah, and inevitably there was transition there. Course, there was a, yeah. a period of transition, but it's all kind of it's a little lost, right? Yeah. We don't know that much about the pre-Christian pagan beliefs of this stuff, and mm-hmm. um, and we don't really know what the in-between period was like. We know that the Perchtenlauf is still celebrated in certain rural communities in Austria and Germany today, cool. which is really, really cool and awesome. And we want to go. And we definitely want to go. But it, it wasn't popularized, and I think it was done in secret for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And so they had to develop this popular form. Mm -hmm. So at the same time, yes, Christianity takes and tweaks, but you can also say that the Austrian and German people adapted their beliefs to be something more palatable by the church. Interesting. Right? Yeah. Maybe they thought they'd be able to keep it if they just shifted it a bit. Yeah. Interesting. That said, and I think in the 12th century, the church tried to get rid of Krampus Mm -hmm. and it just didn't stick. It just didn't work. I love it. I love it. I love it when <laughs> when when they fail. And I love that these stories, even if we only have, I'm going to say, even if we only have a fraction piece of it, though it would be amazing to have more, but even that something carried on is, is still pretty mm-hmm. good. You know what I mean? I think that's it's amazing. It's really cool. Yeah. It's really, cool. really cool. So yeah, the story of Krampus and St. Nicholas really shows how a heathen belief can be integrated despite major differences. Yeah. Um, by the 16th century, stories of St. Nicholas begin to be replaced. He becomes Santa Claus from the Dutch right. uh, name Sinterklaas. Oh, it's a Dutch and thing. And Santa Claus migrates over to the 25th. And, and how this happens is another weird Christianization of things. Let's hear it. Um, it's, it's interesting. It's more just like the. Go ahead. Well, we kind of we just kind of in one of the podcasts we kind of talked about how um, the Saturnalia New Year's is on December twenty fifth. Um, yeah, and then now Christmas somehow becomes December twenty fifth, and everything like you said migrates. So it's cool to see this the stacks. Yeah. <laughs> I think that they just wanted to separate from this idea of Krampus to a degree, right? Mm-hmm. And they wanted, um, they they wanted it to be more focused on Christ, and even like Saint Nicholas, they wanted to have less focus on Saint Nicholas, um, right? And yeah. and they just wanted to focus on Christ. So there was in the 16th century, so during the Reformation. Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer, wanted to focus the interest of children on Christ rather than the veneration of saints. Okay. Because St. Nicholas is a saint, yes. right? Right. And suggested the Christ kind or Christ child was the bringer of gifts on the 24th or 25th. So that kind of mm-hmm. separated this idea of like even separating from saints and separating from Krampus mm-hmm. and moved the date over to the 25th. But Good old St. Nick is still the popular gift bearer for the people. That didn't really change. I don't know much about St. Nicholas as a saint. I can go into that a little bit. Maybe I could tell you a little bit after. Maybe just a little. It would be interesting to do a series on saint, saint mythology, actually, at some point. 
We could totally do a series on Saint mythology. I will finish up on Krampus, and then we can just go into a little quick little blurb about yeah, yeah, yeah. Saint. Nick. Okay, okay. Because I did some research on that too. Curious. Yeah. Um, I'm almost done. I'm honestly almost done with Krampus and and Santa Claus because Santa migrates over to the 25th. We still see Krampus being celebrated in early December. And the celebrations vary a little depending on the region, but they often consist of these big woodcut masks that are, some of them are really, really frightening and scary looking. Others are a little more comical depending on the village, really. Um, (laughs) And they're also dressed in fur, but usually they are attempting to look as terrifying as popular. Uh, the most popular of these traditions is the Krampuslof or Krampus run. So you see the Perktonlof yeah. and the, the, the Krampuslof, and one kind of takes from the other. It's very similar to the Perktonlof. So this. groups of people dress as yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> groups of people dress as Krampus. They wear large bells so that they can be heard. They roam the streets in packs. They're generally accompanied by a Saint Nicholas character. Mm. And some will just scare people on the street. Others throw snow or whip the backs of people's legs. This is where that horse hair becomes really important Mm. rather than a bundle of birch sticks or a whip um, because they will whip people. So to avoid injury, horse hair is a bit better. It's a little easier. And a note for all you doms out there. (laughs) (laughs) A note for all you doms. Horse hair. Start them off gentle. Anyways. Um, And then others will go into people's homes and be offered schnapps and brandy and Mm, stuff like that. Schnapps. Deadly. Yeah. And horse hair whips. What are we getting ourselves into here? Oh, boy. Exactly. (laughs) And then in parts of Austria, sticks and twigs are sometimes painted gold. And this was an older tradition as well. It might still be kept I'm not sure if it's still kept up to date. I'm sure in certain rural areas it is. They'd be painted gold and kept in the house year round as a reminder for children to behave. Oh, wow. The golden stick. Don't yeah. fuck around or you're going to get the golden yeah. stick. But it won't be gold. Exactly. <laughs> That's so funny. That's kind of, That's funny. Yeah. That seems like a pretty harmless form of right. brainwashing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, And then, you know, the Victorian era gets really into weird greeting cards. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden in the 1800s, you see Krampus on greeting cards and postcards and candy. And Krampus is featured as this devilish figure. But the depictions also have a little bit of a sexual undertone to them, which is kind of interesting. Wait. If you look at some of these cards. Do you have any that we can share on our social yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll, you have to send I'll them send to some me. and we can share it on the Instagram. That um, 18th. You know, it's like long tongue and the way that he looms over certain people. Yeah. And like there's like oh, a I weird aggressive it. sexual undertone. Eee. Yeah. Oh, I want to see so bad though. But that's so weird. You said the 18th century? Yeah. Or no, 1800s. 1800s. Okay. So 19th century, yeah. The Edwardians were weird. They are a freaking yeah. group of wild, yeah. weird, purist, weird. Ugh. Okay. Anyways, that's yeah. Hmm, fascinating. Fascinating. Okay. Yeah. Isn't it? That's so isn't crazy. It? Yeah. So, and then it kind of falls, falls away and it's really when, 
the Dutch come over, I want to say, that people in North America become a little more aware of this stuff. But mm-hmm. so let, let's just, unlike Santa Claus, with, with Santa Claus and St. Nicholas, we have a mythology that's much more extensive. We don't really know mm. where Krampus resides outside of the holiday season because now he's like this. He's not in the North Pole. <laughs> no he's he's like r- very closely tied to saint nicholas right but he's probably not in anyone's town or village yeah i would if i had to hazard a guess i'd say he lives away from civilization and with this it kind of makes krampus much like the greek god pan right it's another horned figure who existed in this liminal liminal space between civilization and the wild yeah i don't know yeah 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 i could totally see the connection there yeah for sure yeah Mm. and and so krampus is an interesting one because also some view krampus as a necessary evil remember krampus doesn't punish innocence he only punishes those that misbehave so you have to do something that puts you on the naughty list. Yeah. In order But what constitutes after you. But then who decides what's naughty, I guess, is the I guess that's the thing for all things though. Well, yeah. Yeah. Christian. I, I assume that, that 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 role used to lie with Saint Nick and then it went to Krampus. It's always Nick, that underlying message. If you just be a good person, you'll probably be okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. If not, you'll probably get disemboweled. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Perkta is really interesting. It's really fascinating how she went from this goddess-like creature to just, just being this sorceress. Yeah, and also just like now not in the stories at all, even though it was kind of like. Well, I think she is in Alpine folklore. Mm, okay. I just don't think that we know about her very much outside of that. Mm, okay, that's interesting. You know? hmm but you wanted to know a little bit more about St. Nick. So yeah, St. Nicholas of Bari. Yeah, St. Nicholas of Bari. They've got this big church in Bari in Italy, uh, obviously named after him. It's a nice church. Italy. It's cool. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. So St. Nicholas of Bari is an early Christian bishop from the maritime city of Myra in modern-day Turkey during the time of the Roman Empire. Here we go again. Yeah, we know very few historical details about St. Nicholas's life, and even the year of his death is uncertain, although both Catholic and Eastern Orthodox churches have celebrated December 6th as the date of his passing, and that's why St. Nicholas Day is on December 6th. Right, okay. And they've been celebrating this for more than a thousand years at this point. Right. More than 2,000 years at this point. Yeah. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Within a century of his death, Nicholas had become the center of a series of folk legends. Hmm. He is said to have distributed his wealth to the poor. He was credited with stopping a violent storm to save sailors. Hmm. He donated a bunch of his money to a father who otherwise would have been forced to sell his daughters into prostitution. And he's even credited with restoring life to three boys who had been dismembered by a butcher. Interesting. They didn't call it necromancy, but very cool. Sounds like a nice. <laughs> sounds nice. He does sound nice. I mean, in terms of saint. Yeah. 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 So today he's considered to be the patron saint of sailors, merchants, archers, repentant thieves, 
children, brewers, pawnbrokers, brewers, and like students. Wait, sorry. Did you say brewers? Brewers, yeah. Like, oh, okay, all right, cool. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I don't know why. And who else? Sorry, but yes, uh, pawnbrokers and students in various cities. Okay, throughout Europe. All right, wow. And it's a big deal. Because of this very giving personality that he had, mm. he was the inspiration for the figure of Santa Claus, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Before Santa Claus became Santa Claus, it was St. Nicholas. Mm-hmm. So during the Middle Ages, often on the evening before his name day on December 6th, children were given gifts in his honor. Mm. And Nicholas's fame spread to all, like all of Europe pretty much, partially because as Christians do, once a saint is involved, when someone is denoted as a saint traditionally, bits of their bones would be distributed to different churches all over the place. Yep. Um, the bone wars. So that happened with St. Nicholas as well. Uh, his, his body was disseminated and parts of his skeleton would be sent to churches. Do you know where they are? As relics there. Do you know where any of his relics are today? Just curious. If you don't, it's okay. Not off the top of my head. I know one of them is for sure in Bari. Yeah. Yeah, true that. (laughs) I'm just wondering if we have any here in France because then I'll go see it. Oh, maybe. I'm not sure. Maybe. Who knows? You know what? There's bones of saints everywhere in Europe. It's weird. Everywhere. It's kind of It's super strange. (laughs) The coolest one I ever saw so far is Mary Magdalene's skull. But again, it and then it's also like it's very impossible to actually verify that they're the bones of the people they say. But anyway, yeah, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think so. Most of the time, it's an it's a no for me. Like it doesn't really matter because no, because the energy of the place is still there and it's been. What's more interesting? Which more interesting is the thing that the bones are inside is usually quite interesting because it usually has such a cool story. Mary Magdalene's is so cool because it's literally like a glass like this over her over the face, the skull, and then it's like a full head of like long gold hair, and it just looks wickedly cool. It's very cool. Trust me, it's a cool thing. Yeah, it sounds freaky. I know it's a church, but yeah, <laughs> like, mm. but it is. It's really cool. long golden hair. Yeah, it's like a How? it's like a face bust of made of gold, and then her skull is encased in glass on the inside, and it's just. How likely is it that Mary Magdalene was a blonde? Ah, uh... <laughs> not very. I, I'm just going to answer that for you. I don't know. Uh, that's a whole other conversation for another time. I love Mary Magdalene lore. It's so rampant where I live, and it's very yeah. cool. Uh, um, Jesus, Mary Magdalene were all, once Christianity came into play, uh, they all became white. They weren't oh, yeah. white. They were oh, in yeah. the East. Yeah. I just can't. So the likelihood of Mary Magdalene having blonde hair is it's well, like it, it's not very gold. unlikely. It's not anyway. It's not gold because it's meant to be blonde. It's gold because it's meant to signify her holy her holiness. Um, yeah, but, but who the hell gave them that hair? Though the there's a okay. This is we're really getting. There's a whole topic. story about how it went blonde after she died. No, in no like no. a halo form. Oh, I didn't even. <laughs> I didn't even know that. No, I don't know. Is that true? No, Did you I just don't make that know. up. Uh, no. 
Yeah, I'm just guessing. No, there's just a whole thing around her hair in general. I think Mary Magdalene's usually depicted as a redhead, actually, closer to like a redhead brunette. But like some do, do depict her as blonde, but I, you, I think you're right. I think it depends on the painter. But like, I think the flowing hair is more about the fact that she never covered her head like a modest woman. It's mm. more connected to that. Anyways, Fair. digression. Okay. Another story okay, for sorry. another time. Sorry, guys. <laughs> um, so St. Nicholas's popularity spread to Northern Europe, mm-hmm. where stories of the monk mingled with these Teutonic folk tales of elves and sky chariots right? in the it Netherlands. All, it all kind of makes sense, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I see the connection. And then St. Nicholas took on the Dutch-friendly spelling of Sinterklaas and was depicted as a tall, white-bearded man in red clerical robes who'd arrive every December 6th by boat right. and leave gifts or coal lumps at children's home. Homes, yeah, right? and the so Dutch like, are so the, hardcore the, the idea about of, the sailing and all that. <laughs> yeah, the idea of Krampus didn't spread there, but like all of a sudden it got mixed with this folklore on elves and flying chariots. And then you start to see how this idea mm, of, of, of Saint Nick having a bunch of little elves and flying around starts to form. Yeah. Now – that's crazy. My goodness. Yeah. Stories of Sinterklaas were likely brought to the New World by Dutch settlers in the Hudson River Valley. And in the satirical 1809 History of New York, Washington Irving portrayed St. Nick as a portly Dutchman who flew the skies in a wagon, dropping gifts down chimneys. And in 1823, another New Yorker, Clement Clark Moore, penned the poem A Visit from St. Nicholas, which traded the wagon for a sleigh drawn by eight tiny reindeer. And then beginning during the Civil War, the cartoonist Thomas Nast published the first series of popular depictions of a round, jolly St. Nicholas. So it's really Americans, again, who absolutely shift the narrative into what we know now. Is that what I'm understanding? Pretty much. So in in 1879, Nast was the first to suggest that St. Nicholas lived in the North Pole. Yeah. Okay. Because I know that like they're in, uh, I think it's Norway. You can go to Santa's village. Like it's there. And there's reindeer But that came about after but did, right that's that's a product of capitalism really yeah but my quite my i guess my question is like are they looking are they using the american story as well or did they have their own version yeah. i mean it's hard to know i guess that's a hard thing to know right now i, I wonder think i wonder the fact that there actually is a santa's village in the north pole this is just tourism and the fact that and and the fact yeah exactly and the fact that an american published that and and suggested that first goes to show that the american story then went rampant Informed and spread the current idea yeah. okay right. yeah so like this idea of of santa having elves that formed already as soon as the this idea of saint nick spread to those northern european countries it started to blend with the, that folklore that was already in existence. Mm. But it's when the Dutch settlers came over that these stories started to spread in North America. And then you have these Americans change and modify these stories. And I'm not sure if they were modified 
to make them just more palatable for the American audience or if they just decided to put their own spin on things as people do. Yeah. Um, but those are the stories that really become popular and then that get popular all over the world. And yeah, this idea of St. Nick being in the North Pole, that was an American that decided to write that down. It's funny because we see this theme of like Greek, Roman, American. And it's like, obviously, (laughs) there's this theme of like, these are like the dominating powers. But so far, it's interesting because what I always feel like is missing is that whole era where like England was the most powerful body. And it was, it's, Mm -hmm. it's actually more recent than... Like, I guess it kind of ends around the 19th century-ish. Ish. Um, Ish. Yeah. As America's really establishing itself. But, Mm -hmm. like, I'm like, okay, my thought process is if it took a Dutch guy that came to America and wrote that story about Santa Claus, like, what was going on in England? Do you know what I mean? Like, what was happening over there with with Christmas? (laughs) Because they're Anglican, well, right? Because like, so that does that change everything? I don't know. I'm just curious. I'm just thinking. Um, I'm thinking I think out loud that here. The idea, it's kind of. I I think, and I could be wrong. I think the idea was similar to what would have been happening in uh, Dutch area at the time, mm-hmm. where Saint Nicholas would have gone around, okay. and you get like a lump of coal if you're bad, and if you're good, you get. In England, I think it was an orange was really the popular thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Terry's chocolate orange, still good. I hate them. Michael loves them, like chocolate and orange. I hate them. Well, we get given them all the time. And honestly, I wish that you were here so I could just give it to you. I just give it to him. (laughs) They're not my favorite. Uh, chocolate and orange have never been my thing, but he really goes bonker balls for it. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm, that'll be, that'll be a fun thing when we get into like all of the. English era stuff because I feel like we haven't really touched on a lot of that yet which is interesting because no. it kind of signifies that it has its own thing and that's kind of interesting but I'm sure it bleeds off into other things we just haven't gotten there yet um yeah that's cool okay this is what yeah. what a long windy road as it is for all of these things <laughs> yeah but that's basically the story of Krampus and like a crash course on Saint Nicholas as well because he he changed a bit as well as well yeah and they, and they have an but, overlap but the story of krampus uh, the story of krampus is really really fascinating just because like it involves this goddess that is just kind of unheard of in the western world and also it feels like a sense of rebellion against christianization which again is why i guess yes. it made a resurgence the way it has now mm-hmm. um which mm. honestly makes me like it even more like i liked it before <laughs> But now I like it even more. <laughs> I have to admit. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, if you are listening to this and you've never heard about Krampus before, welcome. And uh, <laughs> if, if you'd like to learn more, um, you should Google if there's any like Krampus balls or parades happening in your area over the holidays, especially if Christmas is not your bag. And if you like to rebel against like traditional holidays, like that might be a fun way to do it. You can get a horse yeah. hair whip. Who doesn't want that? <laughs> <laughs> I know oh, you want one, Mel. I can hear it. <laughs> I can hear it in your laugh. <laughs> it's it's hilarious. It's just, yeah. I mean, I'm... Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'd be into it. It's cool. I'm not opposed. I totally have a horse hair whip. It's, it's going to be... This is... Horse that, hair whips and swords are like... 
For me, my dream is to do the Christmas markets in Germany. I haven't done it yet, and I've been dying uh, to do it. And I think I'm going to take the next Christmas where Michael and I – It's right there. Why haven't you – yeah. Because Christmas is always allotted to family. I know. It's a gauntlet. In the few years that we haven't, you know, seen the family, we've just stayed home. You know, we've had people come to visit and things like that. So (laughs) I think the next (laughs) – No, no. It's totally – we had an amazing (laughs) holiday with you guys last year. Um, It was actually fun and I still have moments where I think about that dinner and I'm like (laughs) – that was funny. <laughs> it was a good time. And a truffle, truffle brie, right? Like who who doesn't want oh that? Oh my God, it was so good. It's freaking amazing. Anyways. It's so good. So it was great. Um, but I do think uh, in another couple of years, the next solo Christmas we have, I am going to tote this idea. Because I've been to the ones in Belgium and they're amazing, but I've been dying mm-hmm. to go to the German ones. But now, my whole point of saying this is to say that I think I'm going to add the Krampus Parade. It's going to have to be an obligatory thing. Before I was like, maybe I'll check it out, but now I really want to check it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that Krampus Parades are easier to find than the Perktonloff that still happens. Yeah, probably. The Perktonloff are like in small rural communities um and and they they're not really I get it because about here much. where I live in the Couserin which is like a part of the Pyrenees mountains there is a local festival here that's a bear festival and like everybody dresses up and they paint themselves like black bears and they all wear bear clothing and they go out and they do a parade and it's very specific to like this mm-hmm. area here and I'm yeah. sure and it's funny because half of the people out here don't like the bears and are trying to get rid of them, even though they've just been reintroduced. But that's another story for another time. But the tradition's old. You know what I mean? It's been yeah. before the first yeah. time that they got rid of all of the bears. So I could see I when you were explaining it to me, it feels like something similar-ish in terms of a small rural thing, yeah. which I would love to find yeah. one of those. That would be so cool. But, you know, I will also be very happy with a Krampus parade. And and knowing <laughs> knowing how it all you know flows together, um, it's just so cool because this has been such a mystery to me. And I, I like you said, I feel like it just appeared one day when we were like in our twenties yeah. and uh, yeah. didn't have a lot of context for it. So this this is cool. No, and it's really crazy yeah. what writing one book how it can like honestly shift. Uh, a thing. I mean, for a lot of the shit that like we all kind of give like the Americans and what Americans have written and done and whatever, whatever. I mean, they they have shaped a lot of things. And also, I think I like they have. I like the American now there's this lore of, of Santa Claus. Actually, well, maybe because yeah, for sure. But it, there's but... also this lore that that Krampus is related to hell, and that's just false. Hell, hell, and what? <laughs> Sorry. There's this lore that Krampus is related to hell, and and that's just false, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, like you said, people do what they do when they they write stuff. Everything, what what is true, what is not true, it all kind of in in two thousand years from now, it'll well, thank God we have the internet, but I mean, like it'll all kind of like blend. (laughs) It could essentially blend all into itself, right? Like with that Saturnalia book, we don't know what what was true and what wasn't true. And what was a creative license. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. That's a good point. That's very true. Well. Creative license is how you change society. Okay. Have a good day. (laughs) (laughs) 
I uh, hope you've all enjoyed learning a little bit more about Krampus and jolly old St. Nick. Mm-hmm. Um, as always, <laughs> I see the flies landing on your camera. It's so freaking <laughs> as annoying. Always. <sighs> yeah, I'm not <laughs> waving my hand at you. <laughs> Obviously, hope you know that. <laughs> Follow us on Instagram at Allegory Story Podcast or send us an email, allegorystorypodcast at gmail.com. And uh, we'll see you next time. We will see you to talk about another December holiday. That's what this series should be called. December holidays, basically. Pretty much. (laughs) See you guys then.